Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio news show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, and our Reasonable Voice today is Alan Minsky, the Executive Director of the Progressive Democrats of America. First of all, Alan, welcome to the show. Oh, great to be with you, Marcello. Uh, my pleasure. I want to tell people a bit about you and about the Progressive Democrats of America. The organization was founded in 2004 to transform the Democratic Party and our country. PDA seeks to build a party and government controlled by citizens, not corporate elites, with policies that serve the broad public interest, not just private interests. Executive Director Alan Minsky is a lifelong activist, who has worked as a progressive journalist for the past two decades. Alan was the program director at KPFK Los Angeles from 2009 to 2018 and has coordinated Pacifica Radio's national coverage of elections. Alan's activism began in college with union solidarity work and opposition to U.S. involvement in Central America. In 2011, he began organizing for Occupy Wall Street. We all remember that. Alan is a committed feminist and anti-racist. He is also an advocate for economic policies that address social inequality, eradicate poverty, and prioritize the interests of working and middle-class households. Alan began working with PDA in 2014. Again, welcome Alan Minsky to The Reasonable Voices. How are you? I'm great, and I'm really happy to be here, especially on a show called Reasonable Voices, because I, first of all, I'm so excited to be in my new position at uh, the Progressive Democrats of America with the Progressive Democrats of America. Uh, this is an organization, as, as you just read, um, that I am, I've been involved with for a while. And what I discovered when I first began to be involved with the Progressive Democrats is an organization that, first of all, is made up of absolutely just rank-and-file average Americans. Now, of course, they're politically committed, they're super sharp, but, I mean, you really have a broad swath of people uh, from an array of you know various jobs and 
businesses and professions that they've been involved in their lives, a range of ages, and they are very much um, acting in the greatest tradition of American civics, mm. the very kind of behavior that, you know, I'm now in my early 50s, and when I went to public elementary school, we were taught something about civics. I've been told that this is largely dropped out of the curriculum across yes. the country. Yes. And and I and I have to recall back to those early days of my lives when we were taught about, you know, what it, it meant to be in a representative democracy, to engage with your representatives, to participate in the democratic process beyond just voting. And that's very much what you see with progressive Democrats of America, the rank and file across the chapters that exist across the entire country. Yes, and you know, the loss of civics in the curriculum really is having a rippling effect that we are truly experiencing. You know, I only knew Tim Carpenter for, uh, I think, the last three years of his life, but I understand your relationship with him goes way back. Uh, can you tell us something about that relationship, especially as it relates to your being the current executive director of PDA and and the history of the Progressive Democrats of America. Most people, I think, think Progressive Democrats in any organization started with Bernie Sanders. Well, um, sadly, I too only knew Tim at the tail end of his life, but we did get to know each other, and we were qu quite friendly, and we instantly recognized each other as political allies. Mm. And sadly, again, Tim um, died not long after I got to know him, but there were a few years there where we did some work together, and again, I instantly recognized that the organization that he was the head of at that time was was absolutely distinctive. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think the sort of the the adoption of the term progressive to refer to the people who were on the left wing of the Democratic Party was a term that became popular. You know, sort of grew in in being a term that you would hear in liberal sort of faded out going from the 80s, 90s into the noughts. And in 2004, I think when the, Tim and the group of other activists founded PDA, there was a strong recognition that the party was not representing uh, and advocating for policies. And of course, in 2004, if we go back to 2004, when, when PDA was founded, uh, front and center was uh, the Iraq war, public opposition to the war, and the rather tepid response of the Democratic Party to you know, certainly in, in the lead up to the war, what seemed like the majority position in the country, which was opposition to direct uh, engagement and, uh, you know, the attempt to overthrow Saddam Hussein's government in Iraq, uh, but on a whole string of issues that uh, attitudes that were held by, you know, millions upon millions of Americans were not getting a hearing. And Progressive Democrats of America were founded at that time and really became the leading sort of citizen engagement organization in the country. Uh, under Tim's guidance, articulating those positions. Now, by the time I get involved with Tim, the organization is vibrant. Um, I remember we're at the event where I met Tim, along with Connor Boylan, and we just hit it off right away, and mm. I thought this was a person. I think, I think the original group of people who founded PDA, and of course Tim Carpenter in particular, really need to be recognized as activist heroes of the highest order because... Yes. I've always believed that American society, very complex, you know, technological, industrial society, is sort of structured around an array of institutions. You can certainly look at society that way in American society. Again, a very complex 
national grassroots progressive organization from scratch and have it stick is a phenomenal achievement. And Tim Carpenter was really one of the most inspirational activists I've ever met in my life. And you probably know that, you know, Tim was battling illness yes. the entire time that he was the head of Progressive Democrats of America. So, you know, I knew Tim had gone in and out of not being well. And when he did get ill, and I'm not sure if this was felt by people who were even closer to Tim than I was mm -hmm. uh, in the final years of his life, but I was incredulous and completely heartbroken when Tim died, and uh, I think I cried three times that day. And yes. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy who doesn't cry that easily. Uh, so am I, and I got the call and had the same reaction. It just seemed, I mean, we all knew he was sick. I mean, I know you and I did, and others did. He certainly didn't show it in public. I mean, he had, I often comment on that uh, that deadly stare when he was sending you a message that you needed to get. Of course, I grew up with Uncle Gino, and all you got was a grunt. So <laughs> a stare was a, a lot more information to be quiet and listen. But he was always gracious and, and always appreciative of when I would cover his events, whatever. But the fact, as you had pointed out, the fact that Progressive Democrats of America really started just, when you talk about grassroots, my God, it started from just enthusiastic people looking for a better way to represent all Americans and to move us forward, hence the term progressive. But it, it, it really, I, I don't want to say it started from nothing because that seems too demeaning, but it, it it's like it was a, a puff of fresh air that bloomed into this enormous thing. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, of course, if we go forward with the institutional history, um, I think PDA has uh, a moment of maximum impact in beginning in early 2014, all the way back in early 2014. Mm -hmm. So that means before the midterm elections of 2014, when the decision was made, uh, and I think it was formalized around May or June of 2014, to um, call upon Bernie Sanders to run for president. Uh -huh. And if you go back to that time, and by the way, Tim Carpenter was somebody who was working largely out of Massachusetts. And yes. a lot of the progressive energy, the balance of the progressive energy outside of PDA was focused upon trying to draft Elizabeth Warren to run for president, who, you know, if you looked at what she was saying at the time, you didn't have to be a genius to realize it was likely that she wasn't really looking to run. Mm -hmm. And Bernie was, was exhibiting, you know, a considerable appetite to do so. Yes. And, uh, of course, Sanders is, and by the way, Senator Elizabeth Warren is a great hero of the Progressive Democrats. In fact, just shortly before I became executive director, just a few weeks before, she did a great event with us, and she is an absolute hero to us. But again, just looking at, at her statements, and again, with people close to her office in Massachusetts, also reading the tea leaves, so to speak, there was a sense that we needed to uh, maybe look elsewhere for a progressive champion for the 2016 presidential cycle. And, you know, for a number of reasons, a lot of people wouldn't have, uh, you know, put their cards on Bernie Sanders. He mm -hmm. probably was viewed singularly as the most left-leaning member of the entire Congress, let alone the Senate. He was from a very small state. But we loved his policies, and not only that, at PDA, and by that time, by the way, I was I was a member and an active member. That uh, you know, we really felt that the policy positions that he was supporting there was an incredible groundswell of support for them. You could see it, for instance, go back to Occupy Wall Street a few.
few years earlier. And, you know, I like any historical event that occurs that has its rise and then its decline. Uh, you don't really have to think back to the first month of Occupy Wall Street when it spread, spread like wildfire across yes. the country. There was an incredible appetite for not just the progressive, but radical in the sense of going to the roots of the problem mm-hmm. type of critique of the variety of crises and that were uh, apparent in American society. And uh, in particular, in, in the wake of the Great Recession and the market crash of 07 and 08 and all that followed it, for a really core critique of the economic imbalances. And we ran a campaign called Run, Bernie, Run. Mm-hmm. And if you do read his autobiographical account of uh, his campaign, he singularly points to PDA as the organization that you know, yes. pushed him out there and encouraged him to run. And, and there, there it was. Bernie Sanders ran for president. And then I think it's safe to say uh, that had a transformative effect on our contemporary politics in the country. And of course, from our point of view, from in the best possible way. Yes, I, I'm just uh, throwing a, a quick note. I was at the uh, Philadelphia convention in which he spoke to his supporters uh, as a sort of official um, endorsement or asking them to vote for the Democratic ticket. And I want to remind everyone: it was not just people in their twenties. That room was filled with uh, uh, people older than I, and and uh, you know, twenties, thirties, forties, all the way up, eighties, weeping as was I as I was trying to record the event. It's, so it's important to to understand, especially now, that Senator Bernie Sanders awakened something, or reawakened uh, something that had been tapped in on the, uh, Occupy Wall Street that is still there. There are millions of Americans who want a more liberal, more progressive Democratic Party, and dare I say, America. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's the brand new Michael Moore film, and Michael Moore in his public talking points says somebody who is a, a voice on the American scene has been reminding people for years, if you go down the... Uh, major policy positions that Sanders promoted, they are overwhelmingly supported by a majority of the American public. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, he introduced new positions that really weren't even on the radar screen, mm-hmm. like free public college hasn't been spoken about uh, in, in on any major national platform. And then, you know, you could see, again, really truly addressing the student debt crisis, providing what used to be provided, you know, not just even free community colleges, but free public university education uh, for everybody who is going to uh, a four-year college that's a public college. And people embrace these policies uh, tremendously. I mean, to just have a forthright and direct discourse about the imbalances of the American justice system, the inability of the political establishment to address the climate issue, uh, the crisis in terms of firearms in the country. On so many fronts, there's a tremendous amount of support for progressive positions. And Unfortunately, I cannot remember the name of the study that was done by a group of Princeton professors uh, not in about the past year and a half. You'll, you'll be able to find it if you Google, you know, study Princeton professors, public policy, uh, American wealthy, uh, the positions of the people. Just start putting these terms into Google and you'll find a study that showed that uh, the, the attitudes of the general public are not reflected in the policies that result from our political system. Invariably, what does result is the policy positions that are held by the wealthy in our society. 
And the only time that you get progressive measures is when the general public opinion happens to overlap with the position of the wealthy. And that is really more like an oligarchy than a popular democratic society. And uh, Bernie Sanders' campaign addressed that. It resonated tremendously. And indeed, it resonated with a number of people who were not even thinking of themselves as Democrats or even sometimes independents. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sanders' message, uh, you know, a lot of studies have shown really resonated with working class voters, whatever a party they were, they were um, leaning towards voting. So you actually had this sort of undercurrent of people who even voted for Donald Trump who found Sanders' message very compelling. And I think this really, really speaks to the reality of contemporary American society. And of course, getting back to progressive Democrats, we as the organization that, that drafted Senator Sanders, uh, we were completely in line with his positions. And again, we're made up of just average people, average citizens. And if people out there want to check out a PDA chapter, we have them all over the country. You can go to PDAamerica.org and you will find people, again, who are very focused and committed on trying to really address the problems in American society in a way that will improve the lives of average Americans. Fantastic. All right. We're going to take a short break. We are talking with Alan Mensky, the Executive Director of the Progressive Democrats of America. We will be back after a short break. We're going to talk about the policies uh, PDA supports and the candidates they support. Uh, Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening? Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today, our Reasonable Voice, Alan Minsky, Executive Director of the Progressive Democrats of America. Alan, you were just about to tell me uh, something about the former Executive Director, Tim Carpenter. Well, Tim Carpenter, again, um, it was uh, just a phenomenal person in the array of sort of activities that he was involved in. Like PDA, there's a, a range of things that PDA does in terms of how it operates. And one thing that Tim was exceptional at 
was uh, in speaking to people in the halls of Congress. Mm. And uh, the Progressive Democrats of America has had a really solid relationship with something that not enough American people know about called the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Mm -hmm. which is a very sizable caucus in Congress, and it has about, I think, just short of 80 members right now. And Tim Carpenter would organize educational events via the Congressional Progressive Caucus. But Tim also, whenever there was an issue, Tim would develop relationships with members of Congress, and he would just speak to them and try to get his opinions known, and he would follow through. And he just was an activist who was just tremendous at maintaining that conversation with the people he needed to maintain. And I think this really speaks to something the PDA continues to do. And this has to do a lot with the void that does exist in American politics in terms of real citizen engagement. And I think if people do join up with PDA and, you know, find a local chapter, uh, there are parts of the country where there are chapters that are still in development, maybe join in like that, you'll discover that one of the tragedies of American democracy is how few people are really engaged in the type of civic activity that the system really requires to be vibrant. And so PDA uh, and organizations that do participate in that kind of civic engagement uh, can have an outsized influence. And Tim Carpenter, again, was able to achieve that simply through his his follow through. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, in the absence of Tim, that the organization as a whole, he looks to step up and achieve. And by the way, I want to also mention for the person who preceded me in the position that I hold now, Again, one of the great contemporary activists, uh, Donna Smith. And Donna Smith, who people may recall from Michael Moore's movie, Sicko, is just a a great advocate for progressive caucuses. And we're absolutely thrilled that Donna will be remaining with the organization as the chair of the advisory board and will be, along with another great activist, Dr. Bill Honigman, continuing to spearhead our uh, drive for uh, single-payer health care and Medicare for All and she'll be doing that in coordination with our partners, the National Nurses United. And by the way, um, Marcello, we have a new partnership with the organization Our Revolution. So we formed a formal partnership with that organization that came directly out of the Bernie Sanders campaign. And uh, again, I think two groups combined are going to partner on a number of projects and initiatives, and I think we're going to be an incredibly powerful force. And yeah, you know, check us out, join up with us, and you'll be... Uh, amazed that, just like in the spirit of Tim Carpenter, how rapidly you'll be engaged with, you know, the, some of the most important decisions and political initiatives in the country, because PDA really has its finger on the pulse of those matters. It really does. I mean, I remember Tim is, I think I was the only media person in the room. He got me, a, a, along with a number of PDA P, uh, activists, in the private office of uh, Congressman Kasunich. And they convinced him. They gave him the facts. And, of course, Tim did all the talking. But, <laughs> but they gave him the information that made him call in an assistant and say, you know, I need to be on this bill. But it was Tim who educated him about it. Okay. Listen, people are being inundated by Trump, pro or con. And some are turning away because enough with Trump already. But how does Progressive Democrats of America as an organization, as a caucus in Congress, how do we engage the public that, that we need to, to, to wake up before, you know, something worse happens? For instance, what kind of policies 
do you support? What what kind of uh, what candidates does uh, PDA support? Uh, tell us a bit about that. Well, okay, I I, um, I don't think I'll surprise anybody by by proclaiming my view that uh, the progressive Democrats of America are important. Well, I'll take it further. I think that, and here on, I don't mean progressive Democrats, capital letters, the organization that I, I am the executive director of currently. I understand. Um, but progressive Democrats as a political formation. Yes. I actually believe that progressive Democrats in the United States of America are the most important political formation in the country right now, and even the world, given the United States' obvious continuing centrality uh, in uh, our globalized world. And right now, you talked about Trump. Okay, we have a, a range of public policy positions that we support that are absolutely central to the point I just made because they're necessary to address the sort of pathologies that exist in American society, like universal health care, Medicare for all, like addressing wealth inequality, the broken criminal justice system. I mean, you can go through them. Election integrity, getting money out of politics, net neutrality. There are a whole range of them that are incredibly important. And again, I do believe that Again, as a political formation, the left wing of the Democratic Party is the space. And then let me go back a little bit also and say that, yes, the Democratic Party, we are an organization of progressive Democrats of America that is an inside-outside organization. We have a relationship to social movements, but we're also inside the party. We, we are known to be trying to bring progressive politics fully into the one party where there is an opening to bring it into. And as for other political parties, you know, all, you know, all power to anybody who's trying to bring forward policies that will help the average American household and the average American person. But if you look at American history, there's been one time in American history where one of the two major parties fell away and was replaced by a separate party. That was in the 1850s with the Whigs becoming the Republicans. You know, I uh, focus upon, you know, policies. I'm only a um, amateur American historian. I don't think the conditions are similar right now to either one of the major parties declining. So the structure of our American political system is clearly conducive to two parties. Only one of them has an opening for the politics that is uh, really required by the historical moment. That's the Democratic Party. And I think the left wing of the Democratic Party, unlike the moderate and centrist wing, really brings forward those policies. But when we get to the issues of the importance of progressive Democrats, even if looked at globally, the United States of America, for all of its historical failings and horrors, is the longest standing representative democracy in the world. Yes. And that is in crisis. And that is in crisis, clearly a crisis personified by the current president, Donald Trump. He has all sorts of authoritarian tendencies. And I would, I tend to look at it this way. We've basically devolved into almost an effective oligarchy, even before Trump comes on the scene. Yes. We have both an incredible concentration of wealth, and then the wealthy have incredible political powers. Both wealthy institutions, major corporations, and indeed wealthy people have an absolutely disproportionate influence within the political system. That is a democracy declining into an oligarchy. Oligarchy and democracy are simply not compatible. You cannot have a system where all the economic and political power is in the hands of the few and maintain a democracy. The two don't mix. People will eventually vote out the oligarchs. Therefore, the oligarchs, if it's unconscious or conscious, really can't stand for the maintenance of democracy. And now we see, 
at this moment historically, the emergence of a person like Trump, who is absolutely tearing at the fabric of our democratic institutions. And I believe if you look at the political formation within the United States, that honestly addresses the root causes and the immediate causes of this crisis of democracy, you have to look, you really only progressive Democrats are addressing these things. Only progressive Democrats, for instance, are calling for uh, the full-on elimination of Citizens United in all money in politics. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, this is a very popular public opinion. You're not going to see it. And, and even when you hear moderate Democrats voice support, for instance, for uh, there will be against Citizens United, let's be honest, moderate Democrats have held a lot of political power in this country, and there's a real go-along, get-along with the status quo. And if you look at who has been behind the power an influence of moderate Democrats in the United States of America. It is also a lot of moneyed interests that have been supporting it. Uh, you can even look at it in terms of, you know, this branch of, I suppose, to simply call it American capitalism. So Silicon Valley and the financial industries in New York have been pouring money into the, the right wing of the Democratic Party. Of course, they're largely averse to progressive politics, and that's because a progressive politics would return power back to the people and you know, reinvigorate and create a more healthy democracy as opposed to one dominated by big money. So I really think even on that front of defending democracy, which is not just in crisis in the United States, but in crisis across the world, yes. progressive Democrats, progressives, people who want to see an honest, healthy, functioning democracy with citizen engagement, and on top of that, who are inside the Democratic Party, they are um, as important a political formation, and I'd argue the most important political formation, in the world at this historic moment. So I, if you're out there listening and you find that persuasive, please join us. Uh, our country and our society needs your, your, your help and your participation in, in, in maintaining a vital democratic society, which tragically I think we haven't been. Well, you know, on that note, let's mention your website and whatever other contact information you wish to share so that people can find out more about PDA and about what it means to be a progressive American. Yes, well, our website is PD America, so P-D-A-M-E-R-I-C-A dot O-R-G. You can find out all the information there. You can find out where local chapters are. You can find out the candidates that we endorse. And it's a great group of uh, candidates running for federal office, the House of Representatives, the Senate. And you will see there, by the way, I do want to point out one thing, is, again, we are an institution that does believe in having progressive challenge incumbents, so you will notice that there is one Democrat that we endorse up there who's running against a Democrat, and that's Kevin DeLeon in California running against Diane Feinstein. Oh, yes. So we're, we're not just uh, blanket endorsing Democrats, not at all. We're focusing on progressive Democrats who we endorse. Of course, we do want to see the Democratic Party take back the House and the Senate, because at least that will staunch the immediate degeneration of American politics in the Trump era. But in terms of individual candidates who are supporting progressives, And, of course, in primaries, we're involved in the process of uh, supporting progressive Democrats who, again, support the policies we support, which you can also find on that website, pdaamerica.org. And, oh. and Marcello, it's fantastic to talk with you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm not quite ready to let go of you yet. But um, okay. I'm glad for the contact information for sure. And I think you, you really, uh, as the journalist professional you are, answered all of my questions before I really got to ask them. But I do, <laughs> uh, yes, I do want to 
point out, and I know you've said this, but but when I first became aware of the organization and involved with Progressive Democrats of America, even during the uh, the, the war years that were, well, the war years still are, but there was a big push for health care for all, health care is a human right, Medicare for all. Have those issues been drowned out, you feel, because of Trump TV, as my friend calls it? Well, you know, there are a number of paradoxes about, you know, obviously Trump as a person. I think, you know, again, I saw the Michael Moore film, Fahrenheit 11.9, and uh, he makes the point, which I'm not sure I entirely agree with, that, that Trump ran consistently to the left of Hillary Clinton in the general election. I think on a number of issues that's true. Of course, he was contradictory, massively contradictory from one interview to the next, but uh, he would say uh, that he supported universal health care, and of course he was completely vague. It's going to be better. It's going to be better than what we have now. It'll be cheaper, and you'll have better coverage. So one of the paradoxes of Trump's presidency, and this is, of course, one of the tragic paradoxes of authoritarian populists on the right, is they often sort of tease the public with the promise of you know, massive infrastructure investment. We'll solve the employment crisis throughout the Rust Belt, and they'll campaign on that, that, they'll declare it, and of course, when they put it in motion, it doesn't in any way resemble, you know, the progressive infrastructure projects from earlier in American history, but they tend to be, you know, private giveaways to, to cronies. With healthcare, again, part of the paradox is, is with Trump saying that, uh, and a good amount of recognition existing as he went after Obamacare, and the Republicans went after Obamacare in the first months of his presidency, that issue remains very vibrant, and I think the support for Medicare for All has has continues to increase. A recent poll has as high as 70% for that very structure. And, and by the way, when it comes to Medicare for All, you know, I was even disheartened recently on one of the Bill Maher shows where there were two great progressives on the show and a more, I think, more moderate Democratic voice criticized Bernie Sanders' program for Medicare for All, and it's a ridiculous criticism. The reality is, is on balance, Medicare for All will be cheaper and obviously provide more simple, streamlined coverage, available coverage for the average person. Uh, it's something that's obscured by the American system by which you get your health care through your business, but you know, you balance out the numbers, Medicare for All will be a money saver for the average household, not a money loser, and of course, it will streamline the system and be more efficient. So, yes, I think the popularity of that issue and a number of progressive issues continues to gain traction across the population. And we do, however, recognize that there are no advocates inside the political system. There are, there are of course, some advocates, but not an adequate number of advocates. Certainly not 70% of the elected federal officials, roughly, you know, equivalent to the, the polling on the issue, are going to support the matter. Well, Progressive Democrats of America are an organization that is going to get that voice into the halls of power and advocate for candidates who support that and do the real civics work of propelling the interests of the American people forward within a very log-jammed and dysfunctional political system, which is what we have right now. But again, the, the work has to be done because, again, there, there are millions of Americans who are receiving inadequate health care. Uh, there are thousands of Americans who are literally dying because of the current system. It needs to be fixed, and there's a simple fix, and, and we advocate for it. That is an excellent takeaway for all of us to carry the rest of our lives and 
and uh, and and to get together and do things uh, about it. Uh, thank you so much. We've been talking to Alan Minsky, the executive director of Progressive Democrats of America, and we, a lot of information has been given to us that is should be motivating, uh, and to get us to move forward together uh, progressively. Uh, Alan, uh, one just a little sign off, if you don't mind, give us that website again, please. PDAmerica.org. And just to clarify, we are referred to as PDA, Progressive Democrats of America, but there's only one A there in the middle of the website, PDAmerica.org. Fantastic. Thank you, Alan Minsky, for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Most inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marcello. Bye now. Bye-bye. There is nothing wrong with me. They keep me. He was funny before he developed dementia, and he was funny after. Denial is not the solution. Alzheimer's is not going to go away. More than 5 million families are dealing with Alzheimer's or a related dementia, and that is more like 20 million people, because for each individual with a diagnosis, there is at least three primary caregivers who are trying to take care of them and give them the support and the love they need. Right here in Central Virginia, though, that number is close to 150,000 of our own friends and neighbors. We do all kinds of activities in the community, and we do those with the staff and the volunteers of those organizations having been trained. We pay attention to enjoying the opportunity of a community event and being out in the public. Our vision, of course, is a world without Alzheimer's. Support, please, the Alzheimer's Association. Thank you. Please call 1-800-272-3900. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Me Too Emancipation from Trump's Ignorance of Why I Didn't Report In the heat of mob rule mesmerized by misinformation, death threats and diminishing the dignity of women like Ashley Estes Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford, demons breed the radical reactionary flow of conspiratorial alternative facts, raping our Bill of Rights and vulnerable seniors and minors as an assumed rite of passage. With Trump's October 2016 confession that rich and famous men are expected and entitled in the land of the free to freely grope women, why would we need a wired Rod Rosenstein to convince us millions of conservatives, supremacists or not, professing love for God and country while exposing faith, hope, and love to the depravity of a bottom so unimaginable most can't suppress laughter at a disappeared smirk in virginity defense in a reality TV contortion. Our antagonist remains centuries-old abuse of women, children, and the elderly, the descendants of unchecked arrogance and ignorance given power over human decency. Long before Mark Twain's gilded age, the hubris of we built that, or the prepped smugness of a judge leaving his, gee, I don't recall, Mark, on our lifetime law, humans bearing penises indiscriminately discharge intoxicated violation, effecting multi-generational undulations of ravages and ruin. 
So, what do we need to disembowel the power of America's underbelly of sexism, racism, and crucifying not only the messengers of truth, but those targeted for the illicit intercourse of power-lust, me-first greed, and the need to demean others to affirm confirmation for themselves? If we do not see our Dorian Gray image reflected in our hookup with Donald Trump, Mike Pence, and Mitch McConnell, then we need to uncover the mirrors reflecting America's history versus herstory, and spotlight our electing moneyed privilege, because our 2016 election's afterglow has hacked America's soul, and we are no longer the fairest of them all. When was our collective I'm-not-immortal moment? Was it during your ignored please-don't-please, or repetitive Clarence Thomas-like pleas for a date? Did it happen during an attempted sexual assault at fifteen, or late-night college drinks ending with gang violence in a dorm elevator? Was it when the illusion of income parity, romantic foreplay, or mutual trust were employer, classmate, or priest crushed? When a kidnapper smart enough to con a release to violate justice or a health science teacher's joyride with a teenager? Was it when seeing your newborn daughter, you realize you'd brought another second-class citizen into the world? Did our sense of immortal humanity die during Michael Brown's Skittles run, Sandra Blaine's jail hanging, or the realization of our vulnerability to Senate gray-haired men, far less interested in cleansing Americans' rivers of toxic coal ash or flint water of lead, than propelling to our highest court another possible predator tainted by Cape Fear envy? In 2018, will we resuscitate our political, electoral, and moral exceptionalism, rise to America's defense against a White House penetrated by a Machiavellian master of bait-and-switch gender bias, forging sex crimes against women, especially those resembling his own, as sacrosanct opportunity to again insult, assault, and thrust fault on women? Evangelicals since GOP is no longer the party of Lincoln, law and order, nor family values, aren't conservatives complicit when electing duplicity? 24 September 1789, our Supreme Court was established with legal determination for number of justices, MIA. Although not immortal, the collective voice of We the People, like the Zapruder film, cast reasonable doubt on Mitch McConnell's Kavanaugh assurances, shrouded in GOP's Chuck Grassley-Knoll deceptions. What the stepfather of Sally Field and father of Ivanka Trump misjudged is the immediate cause and effect yielding to long-term action-reaction that follows unbearable hands-on violence from predators, rendering us self-deluded to the truth that there are more raped women silently suffering alone, more publicly raped by political neglect in Puerto Rico, more children abused in Trump's ICE internment trafficking camps. America's soul is best healed when Americans internalize the strength of Sally Field, justice of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and courage of deported parents to revive our women and children first. If we are not forthcoming with more than thoughts and prayers— Domestic, gun, and sexual violence will rape our equal justice under law to death. Thank you.
and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.